have shooters up on my wrist You know I make it go thwip That's how I live that spidey life That's spidey life That's how I live that spidey life That's spidey life What is up internet? When I say penis, you say Parker Penis? Parker? Penis? Not in reference to Nicholas Parker who's been on the show? No. Just Daniel Parker? Parker. Okay, Parker. Okay, my name is Matthew Kroll. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he's a war criminal or something. My name is Shahir Dowd. I'm a war It doesn't matter. Yeah, and this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Spider-Man Homecoming. Led in, of course, by that awesome parody from The Nerdist, That Spidey Life. This is big for me, Shahir. You uh, know this. I can tell right away uh, by the disable level of your voice. And I can tell by your disdain that you did not just want to talk to me <laughs> about this film. So we brought in easily the biggest gun we've ever brought in when it comes to reviewing film. Movie gun? A movie gun. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, sure. A cinematic cannon, if you will. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you the host of such amazing YouTube shows as Really That Good, In Bob We Trust, and The Game Overthinker, Geek.com's resident film critic, and my favorite film reviewer, on the planet, Bob Chipman. What is up, buddy? Oh, hey, guys. Oh, wow. Thanks. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, very. I'm very excited to have you on, Bob. I, I mean, the thing that uh, that always gets me is every week, without fail, someone on my Facebook, on my Twitter, will post your review. So I'm really excited for us to say, hey, guess what? He's going to review with us this week. <laughs> he slummed it with us. <laughs> he slummed it with us completely. <laughs> Definitely lowering the stakes. Um, Bob, how are you, dude? I am good. I am. Uh, I'm. I'm pretty good. It's been a busy day, but a decent day. Excited to talk uh, more about the movie. And uh, yeah, I'm. I'm in a good place right now. Excellent. Excellent. So, Bob, I've been following you uh, since uh, the Escapist days, which we do not have to talk about, but that's been it's been for a while. And uh, yeah, and just all your stuff, man, you you've been even when there's a very few times that I find myself disagreeing with your opinion, but you always find a way to like sway me more to your side than I think anyone else has ever done. Uh, and I always really appreciate it when people can can do that. So thank you for doing what you do, first and foremost. Oh, thank you, man. That means a lot. Hey, Bob, I've got a quick question for you. I mean, a lot of the reviews I I see right now coming from you that that do get a lot of traction and, and you know end up on feeds are superhero movies. I'm curious, Bob, the film reviewer, pro, you know, pre superhero movies. What kind of film? I mean, I've heard you talk about the age of seventeen quite a lot. I mean, what kind of films outside of that genre really get you going? Well, you know, I'll I'll, I'll watch pretty much uh, anything. Uh, the the reason that there's uh, I think feels like there's a focus on superhero movies right now is because uh, that's what they're making. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of like, it's like, Hey, you, you review a superhero movie every week. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what's opening every week. That's what's opening wide. And that's, uh, you know, ideally, especially when you're working for an outlet that, uh, you do not own yourself gotcha. and, uh, wants the highest traffic thing possible. You know, uh, if it comes out, you know, if Spider-Man comes out and anything else comes out, you're probably not reviewing anything else. Right. Yeah. Uh, but if you, you know, if you could, what would you, you know, I mean, what, what, what outside of that genre do you wish you'd kind of taken a stab at that you might not have been able to because of the popularity of your show? Uh, well, I, I try to cover as much other things as I can, but, um, I generally, I'm, I actually have more in terms of just pure fun, in terms of, hey, that this is both fun to write and also work. I, I have more fun reviewing older films of all stripe than, uh, than newer stuff. That, that's not to say that I think that, you know, all, all newer stuff is bad or, you know, yeah, nothing yeah. interesting happened after 1989, but <laughs> you get to think on it more. You know, uh, you, you get to look at things. You, you can kind of get like the, the, the gods and generals view of history with it. 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, and there's and there's you've seen you've seen where it landed in in the spectrum of history, and whether you can revise that or whether you can whether you agree with that or not, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if I had the kind of uh, if I had the kind of poll that 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 some uh, and I, I think hopefully I can get to to that at at some point. It's been an up and down. Um, that, you know, there, there are some, uh, YouTube reviewers, quote unquote, that pretty much anything they put up is going to get a million hits no matter what. <laughs> right. And, and they can, uh, and, and the people that can do that, 90% of them have worked their asses off to get there. Yeah. Uh, right. To, to, to a degree and, and have built it largely on their own without having to have been part of a corporation or an outlet, uh, like I have. So more power to them, just <laughs> enormous amounts of respect. If, if I had that kind of platform, I might still review new movies just because I like going to movies. I see them all the time. It's, it's good to have, uh, to, to keep current with things. But, you know, the, the things as a film content maker that bring me the most personal joy is, uh, like in October when I do, uh, Schlocktober, which yes. started out on the Escapist site and now is part of In Bob We Trust. Uh, because that's just, you know, five to ten minute essays about, you know, bizarre old stuff that no one's heard of. And I'm, I'm never happier doing that part of my work than I am when I put out something like that or something from good enough movies or really that good. And people tell me, Hey, I'd never heard of that before. This is nuts. Uh, you know, I'm so glad you showed that to me. That's, that's as close as I get to feeling like this is more than like a job. Like this is, yeah, I, I did some legitimate good for, for someone. <laughs> well, yeah. And also I kind of want to touch on really that good, uh, briefly, because when you first started doing that, um, and for listeners, uh, who don't know what that is, it's basically your take. You look back and I like almost like half hour ish deep dive into films and you talk about like if like they are still really that good but you do it in such a positive way I mean I know we're guilty me more than Shahir of when uh when we don't like something it's very easy to like attack it but we yeah. always do fall back to we understand filmmaking is hard and we understand mm. most people don't go out to make a bad movie so like it does eventually start feeling bad when it's just you know bile over and over and over again what I really love about really that good is it not only is it a deep dive but it's it's really a, a positive take on the deep dive and I've, I've really appreciated that as well oh thanks man yeah that that's that that's the the pure labor labor of love of what i do because it's it takes much too long and youtube's algorithms and such are much too arcane for that to ever be something that's like purely profitable yeah but but it it's uh it's the it's the thing that I'm proudest of that I've uh, put out there in the the criticism sense of, you know, it's a thing I've always worried about in this job in this genre of of writing video making whatever is that it's both easy and often more seems more interesting to look at why something doesn't work yeah mm -hmm. and often things that are actually you know good and that everyone kind of agrees are good people stop talking about why mm -hmm, right and, and it and it leads to things like being assumed you know like oh this is like I remember when I was uh, when I was a t when I was a kid everyone worshiped Steven Spielberg right yeah, yeah. He, he he was and now you know pretty much still do but like film <laughs> talk people you know just said oh my god Steven Spielberg he's the 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 god of living directors he's amazing when I'm a teenager and when I'm a 20 something in in taking film classes in college you know it turns into 
oh, Steven Spielberg, God, you know, it's so mainstream. All he does is make movies that everyone likes. Yeah. That's so easy. There's, a, there's an interesting uh, Dawson's Creek moment, which- a Dawson's Creek? Dawson's Creek, yeah. <laughs> Dawson's Creek moment, which, which features exactly that. And and I think we're going to talk about Steven Spielberg quite a lot in our next week review when we review um, Bong Joon-ho's Okja, which is just coming up on Netflix as well. Ah. Um, yeah, I completely agree with you. It is, it, it is a, a, a classic sort of film- snobbery thing to, to, to disrespect, uh, the work of populists, um, mm. you know, and, and take that, uh, into, and make it seem like it's assumed that populists are automatically bad if you're a film critic, because you're diving deep. I wonder right. just before we move on into Spider-Man, if there's one film that you could either champion, you know, something that either got you excited about filmmaking and being a film reviewer or one film that's out right now that you kind of like, you know, maybe just not be getting as much love and you wish you could just kind of direct people towards is there anything like that you could kind of just mention to us before we dive straight into the biggest movie on the planet (laughs) (laughs) right now um i i don't know if it's still under embargo but uh if hypothetically there was a film coming out that was about uh gorillas of some sort sure of course perhaps in some kind of conflict i would say is uh even better than i was expecting I'm so, sure wow. we're going to be talking about uh, some gorillas uh, soon, and, I, and I'm pretty sure gorillas going to get a lot of loves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, de- definitely, uh, definitely something I was very fond of. I'm trying to think if there was uh, any other. Uh, even when you were, you know, a young yeah. film student or a young, you know, aspiring filmmaker, you know, something that really, you know, ET, anything that just got you going. Uh, well, you know. I, I wish I had a more interesting answer, mm-hmm. that, you know, that wasn't like a typical no, nerd no. kind of thing. But uh, it was more than anything else the the early early work from uh, Sam Raimi and Peter Jackson oh, that yeah. really nudged me in. Yep. Oh, so bad. I'm from New Zealand, by the way. So bad taste oh, awesome. is kind of yeah. you know bad taste. Brain did meet the feebles are part of the pa- the lexicon of of what I grew up with. Oh yeah, <laughs> and and they're they're amazing films and all and also what and I I. Heaven only knows if this is still the case in the the digital age. But what was so striking about those was not only are you know here's two guys that are sort of like making my own kind of sensibility things. Is even though they're huge, elaborate, and incredibly skilled filmmakers, you know they're working on these shoestring budgets, and you can see the the seams and the masks, and you can see how the 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 cheesy special effects were done. And it made me want to go out and say, wait a minute. That looks about at the level of something I can manage. I right. think I could. It gets you so psyched up to look at like Peter Jackson playing five roles in, in uh, bad taste. In bad taste, yeah. And yeah. You know what's, yeah. what's remarkable though is I think uh, you know in that sort of uh, looking at something in its historical context is watching something like Bad Taste or Evil Dead and wa- and realizing that there's no money in those films, but watching and going. I can see the filmmaker that would make Lord of the Rings in that movie, you know, yeah. because there's an escalation of, of stakes and, and right. spectacle, which directly relates to exactly what he does in those, in those later films. Um, which I think is really, yeah. Like, as you say, as a young filmmaker is pretty exciting. Yeah, it, it was, it's just, uh, and, and actually I did just think of a more recent movie that I think would, should be on everyone's must see list. If you didn't see Colossal yet, see it. Oh, I oh loved, yeah! I loved yep. Colossal. Yep. It's going to end up on my top ten list. I'm pretty sure. It was uh, it was such a nice uh, a, a nice sort of surprise for me coming out of the gate. And uh, yeah, we uh, we did Colossal. 
Yes, we did. And uh, it, that was so much fun. And uh, went liked- a lot of places other <laughs> other than I didn't expect it to go. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if you liked, uh, if you want to hear our Colossal Review or check out anything else we've done, you can go back and uh, go onto our website, onlymoviepodcast.com, or you can hit us up uh, for a request or any other kind of review. Tell us, tell us the movies that got you passionate about movie making or, rev- you know, wanting to find out more about movies uh, by emailing us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Uh, that was a smooth transition, by the way. Yeah, just wanted like to call out and break the smoothness you did. <laughs> and just made, that was a very nice, uh, that was a colossal transition, Shahir. And that was not. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Zing! All right. Enough <laughs> enough of this nonsense. But enough of the 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 small indies that, uh, that, the small uh, indies. that got us there. <laughs> Although I think we're actually going to use that phrase a lot in reference to Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, po- Possibly, I I think we are. I, well, oh, I'm, you are. I'm, so I'm you, so you've just put the cart before the horse. Uh, okay, so everyone who's listened to this show before knows my history with Spider Man. I uh, you know I love. Actually, it. I don't. No, I don't what? think. I don't think they do know your history with Spider Man. I think How they know your a- history with Marvel movies. But oh. we have not reviewed, even though there's been uh, there's been a reboot and a sequel. We, it, it, we've this is the first Spider Man movie that huh. we've done, and I don't think we've. Obviously, we would have talked about Spider-Man in Civil War. Sure, sure. But 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 let me know about uh, Matt Kroll and Spider-Man. I think I think there's a fun John Gabriel story in relation to this. Oh as well. God, yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, so for Bob Shahir and everyone else, uh, I I mean Spider-Man has been the the character that I have um, the superhero I should say uh, that I've you know related to the most as mo I, I don't know as nerdy teenage kids tend to like that's not nothing you know special about that really mm-hmm. whatsoever or unique I should say um, but I've also been you know drawn to him because he's feels in even though he's kind of the one of the weirdest he also feels kind of the most real because you see more of his real life than most major like uh, major superheroes and it's a real life that is you can relate to it because it's similar to you. It's not Batman who's just super rich or like Clark Kent who's just pretending to be a doof. Like yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, it feels that part feels more grounded in the balance and always feeling like an outcast no matter what you do. So, you know, and, and that has spilled over into multiple things. Uh, Bob, I, I may or may not own three Spidey suits. I'm, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's, that they could be in the closet directly to my right. Um, but yeah, I've, I've just, and the, obviously the Raimi films one and two are, just I I love them so much and three Bob everyone who's listening right now uh, Bob did an amazing video called I believe it's called You're Wrong About Spider-Man 3 is that what it was the title yeah and holy crap I literally anytime someone purely shits on Spider-Man 3 (laughs) I just I sit them down and I put my laptop and I hit play and they're like oh my god (laughs) Matt carries around his laptop specifically for that just for this moment (laughs) I know I could play it on my phone but that's just too easy um, so, I mean, yeah, I'm just, I'm a huge Spidey fan. And the, my issue with this guys was so obviously I liked what happened in civil war. Uh, and, and, but the, the, I'm based on the whole, we could talk about this a little bit, but the whole Marvel and Sony deal and you know, just how Sony is Sony, uh, sometimes with these franchise movies that they just have to pump out to pull off a checkbox. Uh, it, it, it got me worried enough about this, even though there was a collaboration. So I kept uh, my expectations of this film incredibly low. 
Um, I didn't, uh, I wasn't even the day I was going to see it. Like I wasn't like hyped, like almost every other Spider-Man movie, even though I knew the amazings weren't going to be good. I was always like, Oh, there's a, there's a thread. There's a hope of a, a hope of a chance. Uh, and this one, I was just like, Nope, I'm going to go in level headed. And, and I feel like I did that for the most part. Uh, you know, all the spoily trailers notwithstanding, but, um, yeah, I mean that's basically. I mean again, it's not an interesting story. It's just sort of the story you that like I have. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could boil that down a lot faster. Uh, I like Spider Man. <laughs> uh, Bob, what about you? What's what's your history with the character or the films or or anything uh, web slinger related? Ah, oh, geez. Um, well, I I can't remember exactly why uh, why I decided I liked Spider Man as a as a small child. I just sort of remember that I did. Uh, right. You know, I give g- given you know the age thing, I probably didn't, like, first come to it in uh, comics, uh, especially since I don't think anyone really comes to... I don't think anyone born after about 1985 or so really comes to their favorite superhero characters from comics. You usually find it somewhere else and then uh, slide back in. That seems to be my experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, uh, you know, I was always... I loved Spider-Man as a kid, always, uh, you know, sort of identified with it, which is sort of the point of this character. Um... You know, I remember uh, I was working in a uh, blockbuster video store. You're shocked, I'm sure. That, uh, <laughs> we were all there <laughs> with with uh, friends when the first Spider-Man movie was getting made, and you know, back then you you did not get the steady drip of free information right. about uh, about uh, films coming out. So we knew that this was in production. It had failed a bunch of times. No one knew who was going to direct it, and I I distinctly remember, you know leaving work one night, um, having spent the night discussing with friends because everyone was sure it was either going to be David Fincher or Chris Columbus were the two directors in the huh. running to direct Spider-Man. Okay. This is, but this is after the James Cameron, uh, script that kind of, uh, floated around the internet for a while. Oh, years. This, this, this was, uh, this, this was after that was, uh, that had become a distant memory that was never going to happen. Right. Gotcha. So, so that went down and, uh, on my way in, so I go home, you know, go to bed, wake up the next morning to check uh, AICN, uh, you know, before uh, going in as did because we, we all did. going to talk about it. Work. <laughs> we all, this, we this, all went to AICN is more than we should have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As it turned out. Yeah. Um, you know, this is for, for the younger folks listening. There was no such thing as a smartphone and you generally were not logging onto the Internet at work to know about things yeah. so like you didn't you didn't know this stuff and this sort of thing was not reported on tv like entertainment tonight was not going to break into uh their coverage of whatever mario lopez was doing to tell you who was directing the freaking spider-man movie yeah yeah, yeah. That, that, that that was not a thing that was going to happen and i still i'm not used to it when i'm walking by a tv that e news is on and they're like infinity war and i'm like well how is yeah, right. this on there <laughs> Yeah. So even in the days when Spider-Man one was just coming out, I think Sam Raimi wasn't a household name to the point where I think, you know, film fans were excited at the idea of Sam Raimi, this guy who'd been doing sort of evil did these horror movies, dark man, that kind of thing was going to do a big, you know, tentpole release. And I think that even, even the idea of like big superhero tentpoles wasn't a thing back then. Yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of, a, it's kind of crazy, you know, like that was really the, the point at which Sam Raimi became the Sam Raimi that we know today, even though he's been around for a while. Um, you're also a big, uh, comic book reader as well. I'm guessing, you know, uh, having a look, some of your videos like uh what, what's you know like is there a particular spider-man story that really grabbed you or or anything in the in, in the comic books that worked that well for you as well 
Uh, you know, my, my favorite Spider-Man stories were generally published before I was born. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm very fond of uh, pr- pretty much everything on from when John Romita took over the book as a main artist uh, all the way up through the early, early 1980s. You know, pr- pretty much right around the time, like, Todd McFarlane starts regularly drawing and then, like, uh, you know... At one, once Venom has come back more than once is the point where I kind of go, ah, okay, all right, I'm I'm sort of uh, sort of uh, I'm I'm no longer that interested in this. Yeah. But uh, you know that that whole run is is just probably you know my favorite comic stuff certainly from Marvel ever. You know that was uh, that was huge. You know so that that was uh, that was big. Once I eventually was able to you know reread it in trades and uh, back issues and whatnot, I was like, yeah, this is this is as good as uh, as it should be. Okay. Uh, I'll keep mine very, fairly short, uh, which is that Spider-Man for me is not a character I'm, I've that, I, I've been that interested in, you know, growing up, obviously, uh, for me, uh, when I read the dark Knight returns that transformed what I understood about Batman. So Batman became the Zenith point for what I thought and felt superhero, the superhero genre could turn towards. So I was always a Batman fan. I, I really enjoyed the first Spider-Man movie in the theater. I thought it was like a rollicking good time. It was, it was the first time I kind of felt like, Hey, this is just, you know, pure cinematic fun. Um, I wasn't. And then I think, you know, for me, my, my, uh, if you listen to any of our back episodes, my lack of interest in superhero films because of their sort of adherence to conventionality started, I would actually really pinpoint it to being around Spider-Man two, which I know is, is like, you know, a much beloved film. But, uh, but for me, that was the point at which I found, um, the emotional undertones of what Raimi was trying to do with Spider-Man to be, a little uninteresting. Uh, if you know, it seemed to work and people loved it, but I, I personally started finding it a little, you know, fairly uninteresting. Um, I, I, I mean, you know, I'm maybe I'm a little bit older than you guys. I, I still remember watching the um, the Spider-Man TV show uh, back in the day with the actual theme song. Uh, you know, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Uh, I used to, I used to. I'm definitely, I'm pretty sure I tried to like throw myself off a couple of uh, fences or something like that, pretending to be Spider-Man when I was a little kid. Um, <laughs> you threw yourself off fences? Pretty sure you I didn't th- at least <laughs> jump. Uh, Pretty sure I thought I could I could I could uh, shoot webbing out of my out of my hands. Okay, and, uh, well you have to build the web shooters first. You know? uh, yeah. This is before organic webbing. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, like I have, you know, Spider Man's a, a character that I've kind of been curiously fascinated by. I, w- I guess the main thing that I'm really curious about now is that the fact that Iron Man is a bigger draw card to fans than Spider Man is, you know, it, you know, you can even see it in the marketing of Spider-Man Homecoming. It feels like Spider-Man has become a secondary character, even though he was the, the, the poster child for the Marvel, for, for Marvel comic books. Uh, so I guess I'm really curious about that, but you know, again, as I say, Spider-Man is something I'm kind of mildly interested in, but not, not, not ever, you know, devoutly in love with. Fair, fair, except for all the Spider-Man two stuff. I, I, I think that's all fair. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so this movie in particular guys, uh, 
again, we mentioned it briefly, this this Sony and Marvel sort of team up, which seemed very hopeful to me at first. And then uh, with the announcements of the Spidey Cinematic Universe that will kind of, I guess, break away from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, even though he's going to be in Infinity War. And like then they're doing, obviously, the Venom movie and the is there a black cat and silver sable? Is that the thing? That well, they say it's a thing. They've signed a director. Um, they've signed. They've signed. They've signed a a pretty good director. Gina Prince Blythewood is uh, is on that, uh, which is, you know, I I think it's a terrible idea, but good for her. Yeah. Okay. What what uh, what stuffs she, that she, she's done? Is she? Um, I'm trying to think of because the name sounds familiar. I'm just not. Secret Life of Bees. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Gina Prince Blythewood. Uh, she she's best known for. Uh, uh, love, uh, disappearing acts and love in basketball. Uh, in two that both came out in two thousand. Uh, probably the two best known ones and uh, Secret Life of Bees and Beyond the Lights in, uh, okay. in two thousand four. And she's uh, also done a lot of television. Yeah, I've heard uh, very and, good things about Beyond the Lights. Yeah, she's uh oh, and she's also directing uh the Cloak and Dagger pilot for Marvel. Oh, for, uh, the, the, the TV. I, I thought that looked interesting. What did did you see the trailer for that? Yes, I did. What did you think about that? I think it looks interesting. I think, uh, you know, Cloak and Dagger always felt, you know, it's a pr- pretty good characters in the comics, but always felt like as a concept, something that was waiting for someone to come around and say, oh, hell, this should be a TV show. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so it's taken long enough, but hey, it looks good. It's on, uh, it's it's on uh, whatever ABC Family is called now. Yeah, oh, oh, God. Yeah, they rebranded that, didn't they? Uh, Fu- Fu- Fusion Freeform. Freeform. Yep. Freeform. Yep. Yeah. Uh, And if it's so funny, because if you look at something like the cloak and dagger trailer versus something like, uh, I don't know, the Inhumans trailer, uh, one was paid for by IMAX and doesn't look great yet. Uh, and the other one just sort of came out of nowhere with these sort of minor characters too, that are just, it, I don't know. I just, I'm so looking forward to that, uh, in, you know, direct <laughs> juxtaposition of the inhuman stuff. Um, but so, sorry. So yeah, so the, the, the the deal with with Sony and Marvel is kind of unprecedented in like big sort of franchisey history, right? Like like borrowing a character and like you get money off your movies and we get money off our movies, but like we get to use Tony Stark and you get to use Spider Man. Like that just seems so strange. And then it, I wonder, especially watching this film, Spider Man Homecoming, like the parts that I liked and the parts that I didn't like. I'm wonder. I always find myself like who who am I blaming for this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think it's Sony when I don't like it, but maybe it's a Marvel thing. I don't know. I, I could, my fanboy could be showing. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think? Well, I was, uh, the thing, you know, part of my homework this week was I, uh, on Hulu, there was a documentary playing uh, Doom, the untold story of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four, which I, which I caught and watched. And, and that's a really interesting um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's not a great, great film, but it's an interesting look at, at the way in which the rights for a property can become hotly contested and can basically allow a film like Roger Corman's Fantastic Four to be made in the, in the, in an attempt to kind of seal the rights. And I think, you know, like the one thing about it that, that, um, we have to remember Sony bought the rights to Spider-Man when Marvel was not a studio. And when Marvel's, you know, biggest success story at, up until that point had been things like the schlocky Spider-Man TV show or, um, or the, the Incredible, uh, Hulk, the Incredible show. Hulk TV show. So these weren't like, you know, high watermarks for, uh, for translation of their material into into a cinematic world um so the 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 selling off of the rights between marvel and sony 
Uh, it, it, I guess, and Bob, you can probably speak to this more because I didn't even watch the second amazing Spider-Man movie at this point. Um, it felt like it, you know, it's impossible for Sony to try and continue the the facade of owning Spider-Man and keeping Spider-Man from Avengers when it seemed that he was such a, a bitter fit for for uh, what Marvel was doing with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, and I, I wonder if you guys being passionate fans about Spider-Man didn't see it as a somewhat kind of admittance of defeat uh, on Sony's part and, and maybe even a cynical, you know, like having the character redrawn this third time so quickly after, you know, it had basically been redone again for a second time uh, felt somewhat, you know, like it seems to me the the machinations of a studio were on display for us to, for us. And I, and I wonder as you guys as fans, you know, whether there was something kind of mildly cynical about that or my, you know, like made it feel slightly cynical. I don't think I need to have been a fan to, to, to see this as completely cynical. Right. <laughs> like this, this, this is as, this is as naked a glimpse as the, the mass audience, both of press and, you know, like the, the press never gets to see it this clearly. The audience certainly doesn't of, of seeing how the sausage gets made on these things. Right. You know, of like, like this, this is, and a lot of it is, very unfortunate, you know, like the, the ugly component to this is I don't know how much of this ever happens uh, without the Sony hack. Yeah, yeah. of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and now that we, you know, unfortunately, like at the time that was already kind of ugly. It's like, oh, hey, you know, I, I don't love, uh, you know, these hacker brats, you know, breaking into Sony's email and, you know, effing up everyone's uh, jobs just because. And now those same guys have kind of, uh, you know heads that had their fun with my country's elections yeah so uh yeah yeah hmm. yeah so that happened so <laughs> it's 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 no it's so what was already an, an ugly side to this story is now a really ugly side to this story because you've got all of that business involved but uh you know the the thing of it is even when the amazing movies were coming out uh, we now know, and it was, you know, moderately known at the time that Marvel and Sony were talking to each other and past each other trying to work out some way to, to cross promote these things. And, uh, the, the issue with it is, is, is that Sony needs, needs Marvel a lot more than Marvel needs Sony. Yeah. Not in, not in terms of like making a good film. I think if Sony, uh, if, if Sony was not run by fairly incompetent producers. Yeah. You know, which they are, and with Tom Rothman there now, continue right. to be. Yeah. Uh, this is me pretty much seeding any chance I'm ever going to get to actually work in this <laughs> yeah. town. But yeah, they're, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, 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 yeah. So Sony has been run by morons for a long time, and they're just run by a different class of morons now, just trying to build the company's stock up so it can eventually get sewn to, uh, sold to this or that Chinese conglomerate. So yeah. whatever. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. <laughs> I, I, you, you, you could have knocked me over with a feather when they said, okay, we got rid of that regime at uh, Sony that uh, everything was going wrong for. Uh, now meet former head of Fox Studios, Tom Rothman, one yeah. of the most despised figures in the entire film industry in the United <laughs> States coming in to, uh, to, to, to get the save at Sony. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how that happens. Uh, well, I mean, if you look at Sony's Sony's biggest 
biggest hit to date is Spider-Man. Their second biggest hit to date is Spider-Man 2. Their fourth biggest hit to date is Spider-Man 3. So you can understand, uh, you know, and and, and I'm, I'm sure from Sony's point of view, seeing what, what Marvel had become, you know, like you said yourself, Marvel didn't need Sony as much as Sony needed, you know, the Marvel property. But but that was not the case, you know, uh, in in 2002, you know, when when Spider-Man came out. That just, it's simply, you know, the, 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 the thought that Iron Man was going to be a huge successful film that kicked off this entire cinematic universe uh, was, was, you know, but, but a mere glint in the eye of Marvel's, uh, you know, executives at that point, Kevin Feige. Feige. Um, so, so it's, I, I'm curious, you know, like, I guess I find it uh, interesting and I, and I, I see a lot of the, the potential cynicism for the way we would watch Spider-Man Homecoming at play right from the get go. Like this is a film where you know, the, it feels like this character who again was the most successful superhero prior to Iron Man. Uh, it feels like this character has been, has, has somewhat fallen from grace and is now, and is now kind of a minor character that needs to be propped up by Iron Man, by Tony Stark in the Spider-Man, in in his own universe. Um, and, and, and needs, and the audience needs gentle reminders of, Hey, he was in an, in Avengers Infinity War, you know, he's going to be in Infinity War. He's, he's a character that we all kind of love. Get it. You know, like, look, here he is. Uh, I mean, I'm curious you guys as fans, how you, how you responded to that. I mean, I think to be honest, the amazing films, uh, well, you know, you, you could pick some one or two sort of things that it may be okay, uh, throughout them. I think one of the major damages that they did was to the character of Peter Parker. Like in my opinion, they made him not only not Peter Parker, but just not likable. He was kind of a dick. He literally steals a minority's internship to get into Oscorp. He does these small, tiny, weird, dumb things that, that are just like, this is not a good person. And he's like, he's more of a dick than he is. A, he, I don't know. He just, so it, it's kind of sullied. And, and I feel like if you look at, you know, uh, Toy McGuire or Raimi Spider-Man versus the amazing Spider-Man, not that I think that, um, Andrew Garfield would have made a particularly bad Spider-Man had he been directed differently. Mm-hmm. I just think that, with with Raimi's films, you get a character that you you can really buy into the weird, amazing shit that Spider-Man does because behind it all is the character of Peter Parker being played very well, who is a shy, invisible nobody who has a heart of gold. And in the amazing films, it's like he's the same person inside and outside of the suit. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it just, it sullied it for me. Mm-hmm. And now I was psyched to sort of see uh, something at least closer to 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 Raimi's Spider-Man. I don't know, Bob. What do you what do you think about that? Uh, well, when it comes to the amazing movies, I can't put too much of it on Andrew Garfield. I really can't put too much of it on Mark Webb. Uh, you know, they have awful screenplays um, written by not terribly good writers. Uh, once again, goodbye to working in the industry. Listen, I'm definitely sure all of Sony's people are listening. Everyone's right listening. Yeah. Yeah. Or Orsi and Kurtzman are just not good at what they do, and they're really not good at what they keep getting hired to do, which is build these universe things. Uh, and the thing is, you look at the Amazing Spider-Man movies, if you follow the, the business of filmmaking for a while, you start to be able to see the difference between a movie where... The 
uh, the producers in terms of the executives of the company who want to control a whole bunch of other business stuff through this movie and it are in charge and where a, a director is in charge. And, uh, you know, like, like for better or for worse in, say, the Transformers movies, not good films, don't like them at all, but Michael Bay is in charge of those movies. Right. Because yeah. if he wasn't, they wouldn't be three hours long and go <laughs> off on all these bizarre tangents that are just sort of specific to various obsessions of Michael Bay and, and his writers. Romeo and Juliet law. Uh, also, uh, Rob, uh, uh, was it uh, Kurtzman and uh, Orsi are, uh, have been involved in the Transformers universe. In, in the second one. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the worst one. The, yeah. They, yeah. That, that's how bad they are. They wrote the worst Transformers movie. <laughs> Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> but they are, but they are producers extraordinaire who, you know, continue. I mean, uh, their, their, their work is extended into the mummy universe this, uh, this past oh, year. Oh God, well. that's right. But also Star Trek, uh, and Transformers, you know, they, they're prolific, if nothing, if not prolific. Oh. I, I am willing, and, and look, I, I as as a working writer, I, I never want to, to shit too much on another working writer, so, you know, there is such a thing in Hollywood of being really, really good in the room, mm-hmm. and the with the kind of things they do, it's very clear that they must be spectacular in the room in terms of pitching because there's good at pitching and there's also good at being able to, you know, hear whatever stupid note that the executive is sending you and say like, you know, he needs to skateboard in this movie. You need to, you need to get him on the, you, you know, like, like literally if you want an example of why these guys must be effing amazing at what they do, go back and watch the, uh, the, the Poochie episode. Yeah, of the Simpsons, the Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. and and watch when that poor guy is having to tr- to draw a character based on the random vague uh, insistencies of all of these guys, and listens to every one of them, incorporates it in, and eventually gets a thumbs up from them. That that is the the working experience of Hollywood's screenwriters on these things, and if you can do that. You can work if you can hear them say, "We think Peter Parker should uh, should have a skateboard scene in there." Can, can you get that in? Can you, can you make him more of like a chosen one? Can we get a a destiny sort of thing happening because everybody likes destiny in the Matrix? If you can say yes to that and make that executive feel like his note has been listened to and is in the script, you will work. Yeah. To, to so, be so fair, kudos to them. Yeah. To be fair, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man was written by one of my favorite, well, by a person who wrote one of my favorite screenplays, James Vanderbilt, who wrote the Zodiac. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, to be fair, I, you know, Orti and Kurtzman kind of came on in the second half, and I think, but I think there's something true to what you're saying in terms of uh, what's w- the thing that's true to me about that is is even if you've if you've critically failed, like Orsi and Kurtzman have known to have done, you know, especially with Transformers 2, for an executive, they would much rather trust someone who has, you know, delivered on a franchise before than try someone new, especially franchises like Transformers that and Star Trek that make money. You know, they, these movies are colossal, colossal money makers. Um, and so... You know, I, I think, and and it really does get into that question that we've been having, especially in relation to the to the firing of um, Phil Lord and Chris Miller on the Star uh, Star Wars franchise movies, uh, the Han Solo movie, as to what what a director is required to do on a movie like this, especially, I think, you know, uh, uh, especially around Patty Jenkins uh, in Wonder Woman, there was this sort of question of like, do we trust a director to do this? And I think the firing of Phil Lord and Chris Miller, if you want to talk about 
you know, the sausage being, you know, seeing how the sausage is made exposes the notion that directors, especially on these big tentpole films and especially filmmakers coming in like John Watts for uh, Spider-Man Homecoming aren't necessarily there because of their previous work. They're there because they have known to deliver or could potentially deliver and are at a stage in their career where they may be willing to take those kinds of notes, as you just mentioned before. Um, you know, and I think, I think there's something really interesting about what John Watts delivers on Spider-Man Homecoming in relation to that conversation. Um, well, should we, should we, we've spent about a half hour, if not more talking about the histories and the back from back and forth. Yeah, let's get into it. Let's, let's get, get into the homecoming. I feel like I should go first because I, I want you guys to have the, the lion's share conversation okay. about this movie. Okay. And I, I'm, I'm, yeah, so this I is want... terrifying. Bob, when he sets stuff up like this, it's normally a trap. <laughs> so just be ready for anything. I want to say a couple of things. Uh, Spider-Man homecoming for me um, do, is a good example of something that I often feel like doesn't work in, in these larger Marvel, you know, larger cinematic universe movies, which is that it's reliant entirely upon your no, your knowledge and understanding of previous iterations of the character in order to engage with and enjoy this particular, uh, particular film. And I, and I find that, um, I think that can be useful, but I find more often than not that that does not actually advance what the film is potentially able to do as much as it kind of just, you know, gives us a framework to understand it. And so an example of where I think that really works well is Logan, which, you know, which takes our knowledge and understanding of who Logan is and transforms it in a way. It's, you know, kind of similar to what, uh, Frank Miller's the dark Knight returns did. Um, so, so that's something I'm always kind of like, uh, I feel often on the back foot with, with these kinds of movies when, when it's so overly reliant on reminding us that, that it is part of a bigger franchise and it is part of a bigger universe. And that is where we should draw our pleasure from. Um, on the other side of it is, this is a genuinely charming and engaging and fun film. I actually did have a very good time at this movie. And, and, and I think it, it comes down to a couple of things. One, one of the, and I'll, I'll bring it, break it into minutia just to, just to explain my point a little bit, which is that, that the reason why I think part of us were all dazzled by the, the initial, the first spy, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man was that Raimi managed to bring to life the, the visceral thrill of, of being Spider-Man. And, and it was something that, you know, we'd kind of all thought about and we hadn't really, you know, we'd all imagined, but Raimi actually like brought it to life. So we, we saw Spider-Man swinging from Manhattan's buildings and it, and it was, it was a roller coaster rush. The interesting thing about Homecoming is Homecoming never tries to do that. It never, you know, and I, th I think that was something true of, of the amazing Spider-Man as well. I think Homecoming really just skips over that, 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 that attempt to translate the visceral pleasure of being Spider-Man to screen. Instead, it, it, I mean, it has smaller moments like that, but instead what, what I'm kind of really impressed by is John Watts as a director. He's a, he's also a credited screenwriter on this film of just pushing the story forward. He's, he really doesn't linger on, on any big visual theatrical moment. Instead, he just kind of just rams the story forward and he just keeps it going and keeps turning it up. And I think, you know, as much as, as much as of my initial hesitations about 
the way in which we should watch a movie like this because of its place within, you know, a 22 movie arc at this point. And, and, and I, you know, I, I think we've talked about this in, in some of our previous reviews. Um, it feels to me a little bit like, like we're getting into, uh, what television was back in the nineties kind of thing with the Marvel cinematic universe, which is that they're kind of every movie feels like a monster of the week and it's just kind of treading water I, I don't, I'm not passionately engaged with the overall arc that said, I think this is a very good episode of the Spider-Man story. <laughs> I think this is a very, very good episode of, uh, of a Marvel TV this show. During peak week. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's like, it's like a good bottle episode. Um, you know, it's, it's, or sweeps it, week, sweeps week. It's, yeah. it's inconsequential. It's, it's moderately unambitious. Um, but it succeeds on its own terms. And that's what I like about it. Um, oddly, it feels to me to be the first, it feels like an indie Marvel movie. If that, if that, mm. if those two words thrown together kind of makes sense in that, if it, feel, it, it feels like, imagine if there was a superhero movie at Sundance this year, and this, this would be that movie. Um, you know, it's small, it's charming. It's some, it, it, and as, as pejorative as the term has become reflective upon Sundance award winners recently, it's, it's somewhat inconsequential, but it, but it works on its own terms. If that is true, then that would explain why you kind of liked it. I kind, I kind of, <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't dislike my time at the movie. Fair. It, 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 it's, it's, it's Fair. on par with Star Trek beyond and guardians of the galaxy for me as in they're really okay. good entertaining episodes. Okay. Bob, you want to, you want to take your first thoughts? Uh, I, I agree with that summation of it. I, I think if it was a Sundance movie, it would be one that uh, probably didn't make it to theaters. Exactly. Exactly. A film like the sessions, which won a, a lot of awards, but nobody saw. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I don't. I think it would have won awards either. I think it would have been a Sunday movie that people kind of said, "Oh, hey, that's charming." Yeah, and uh, and and you know, which is you know, by the way, fine. You know, every once in a while, one of those turns out to be a big deal. Uh, I'm I'm gonna probably date myself a little bit, which is bizarre that this would be considered dated. But it really sort of feels like a re like everyone said the reference point to this was like, "Oh, it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off" because they they showed it on TV at one point and they've done that really cynical trailer that yeah. you know just makes it look like Ferris Bueller's Day Off because they play the running home song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh but like the the reference point to this to me honestly feels a little bit closer to Napoleon Dynamite. Okay. Yeah. Fair. I can see that. Although Napoleon Dynamite is a major head. Yeah, well it was, but it was also a really tiny movie that came out of nowhere because the Nickelodeon crowd got onto it and said, Oh hey, this is us. Yeah. Okay. I could see that. Yeah. I, I thought, you know, I think the movie's fine. I, I think it's just a fine. It's a good enough, mostly disposable teenage movie that happens to also be about Spider-Man. And I, I don't see that as an inherently negative thing. I, I see the fact that, you know, they didn't make a particularly interesting movie or tell a particularly interesting story out of it to, to, to be a negative thing. I think if you're, if you've got something that, you know, whatever form you release it in, you're going to make $1 billion no matter what, <laughs> you know, it, 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 you should possibly feel just a little bit obligated to, to, you know, do something, you know, remotely interesting with it. The, these movies tend to be either really good, really interesting, or really bad. And to have one come out that's just an, a, a decent, not spectacular two and a half star movie is almost kind of weird, you know, where it's, it's a, it's not a movie that, like, is going to 
elevate the Marvel thing at all. It, it doesn't do a single thing to change the face of the Marvel Universe or really add anything to it, but it also doesn't, like... It, it, it's not like when Batman v Superman comes out and it's like, oh my god, is this whole project already over? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like, it, it doesn't do that either. It's just, uh, it's an okay movie. It, it is very much an episodic thing. Like, okay, here's the most recent Marvel thing. It's out. You enjoyed it for, you know, two hours or however long it is. And uh, now move on and watch some other movie. And I'm, I'm fine with that, even if I wish it was a better movie. So I agree with both of you. Uh, however, this is my, I guess this is my difference. So we talk a lot about on here um, sort of <sighs> how a movie sort of makes you emotionally react. Now, my emotional reactions to this film, I can, I, I feel, and it's weird to even be able to do this with a Spider-Man movie because I should just kind of want to like it blindly uh, because I'm me. But the I can definitely separate sort of uh, what I feel is like the good parts of it, the bad parts of it, what works, what doesn't. It is, you are both correct, it is just an okay movie. But the things that it does well in that stew of okayness are the exact things that speak to me as a as a film viewer, as a as a content creator, and as my sort of my, uh, I guess, uh, inner child, so to speak, or who I was when I was like 15. And uh, I what I found way more interesting than like, because the action stuff was just sort of action stuff. And it was neat. Like, that's cool. Shahir, you mentioned they don't like ever do total like full on action porn to it. So it's like, it's just like, yep, and they move through it and whatever. The high school stuff, the stuff with his friends, the, the, the moment, honestly, that was the most hard heartbreaking for me in this film. We'll just get into spoilers because we've been talking for so long and this isn't even a major one uh, <laughs> is when uh, when they're in Washington, D.C. at the field trip and Liz Allen runs into him and they're all going to the pool like they snuck out of their rooms and they're going to the pool late night on the school field trip, which I've yeah. done a bunch of times and I've also felt left out of doing a bunch of times and Peter can't join because he has to go be Spider-Man and it's just like it's those moments and uh, Ned, uh, who is best friend of the movie Ned really sort of seals all this sort of feeling home for me. Uh, that's the stuff that I really gravitated towards. Then you put that through a Spider-Man lens for me. And I, I, I guys, I, I'm not kidding when I said I was literally caught myself just consistently smiling. Mm. And then I get into the question of, okay, if I'm really loving the experience of watching this, but I know <laughs> critically that it's just a meh film, I don't know where I should fall on this. Uh, I feel like I'm gloating a little, not gloating, uh, making a sort of a more glowing review than I should. I think it's use of music feels sort of super forced and like all superhero movies are using popular like poppy music. So now we're going to cram a bunch of songs in here. Randomly. Oddly, we're going to cram in the Rolling Stones right at the beginning. Let's just do it. Yeah. Uh, I feel like um, uh, I think there's something you called out, Bob, in, in your review, the heavy lifting scene. Uh, where, uh, due to no fault of his own, I guess, Vulture knocks a whole building on Peter Parker and we get that classic comic book Spidey has to believe in himself to lift the giant thing off him because that's a trope throughout a bunch of times. Uh, but as you said, Bob, uh, in your review, which everyone should go check that out, uh, 
it's basically like the reason that works in other Spidey stories is because <laughs> there was a moment where he didn't believe it, like really didn't believe in himself. And this movie doesn't have that. Yeah. Like he just looks at the mask. And I, I do remember kind of groaning when he like looks down at the mask and sees his reflection. I was just like, okay. Mm. Uh, so there's moments that do break it. But again, I have to say uh, it, it, the right place, right time, right viewer. And uh, I, I, this is a movie where if I know your taste and if they align with mine in sort of a spidey way <laughs> this might in a spidey sense sort of way uh i would uh, uh you know suggest it to of someone unabashedly however uh i have a lot of friends that do love the marvel movies some of the marvel movies not all of them that i'd be like eh, it's all right like it's just it's a it's a weirdly it's so strange to say that the marvel sony team up of spider-man homecoming is a personal experience for me <laughs> because yeah. it is just total franchising uh but yeah i i really uh overall loved it a lot and uh i'm looking forward to you know subsequent viewings i loved i loved all that little stuff then the super nerdy stuff too the the subtle uh easter egg stuff with um what's his, uh childish gambino why can't the guy who's don playing glover. yeah don glover who's playing the proto prowler yeah. uh basically uh mentioning he has a nephew being miles, miles morales. morales yeah uh the the mac gargan stuff was a little heavy-handed i liked it when he first showed up but then it was a little bit too much for me yeah and then the mj reveal sort of thing was neat even though everyone already knew she was basically mj anyway yeah that's i i can't wait for the post-mortem on that because it feels like they chickened out of something and then tried to chicken back in yep exactly it's weird. It's, i feel like they've they're they placed her in sort of so somewhere on the spectrum all of a sudden like mj is somewhere uh you know there, there's something kind of misaligned with her and and i've like i'm wondering where that's gonna go well i think they just wanted to go complete opposite of what mj is normally and first of all mj yeah. didn't go to high school with peter right uh in the comics I'm, if i remember correctly that she was a friend of gwen stacy later once they were in college i think i don't know but like so mj in high school even though it worked very well in the raimi movies because she was the only sort of one but you have liz allen as the love interest in this one uh which is great uh oh Let's talk about let's talk about this. How did you guys feel about uh, first of all, uh, Michael Keaton? I think I never I never even realized anyone could make the vulture good. Uh, <laughs> the vulture is just a character that like totally works in like the 60s and 70s. But like now you're like old man in a bird suit, <laughs> uh, which I mean, my, Michael Keaton's been playing a version of that That's, role uh, yeah. his entire life. Yeah. Um, but how did you guys feel about the turn? And this was a legitimate actual twist for me that a very spoiler heavy trailer um, release schedule did not spoil. Thankfully the scene where Peter's picking Liz up for prom and the door opens and it's the vultures there. And, and at first I thought it was the classic moment of, Oh, the villains figured it out and he stopped by and now he's got the family hostage, but it turns out he's actually the, it's Liz's dad. Yeah. I, I was like, in weird nerd shock for a little bit. And uh, I don't know. I loved that moment. How did you guys feel? You know, I, I like it as a reveal because like it is, it is the only thing in the movie that I couldn't see coming from a mile away. Yes. And it is so because it's a gigantic flaming cheat that, 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 that he would not, that, that he would have gone to school with this person for several, for many, many years uh, and not only not know, you know, given given the fact that we are informed early on through visual exposition that 
uh, Peter and Ned have been quietly stalking this girl for, <laughs> you know, a lot of time because we have this whole scene of them sitting in the lunchroom and remarking to each other on whether or not she's worn different clothes that day, which is, you know, because they're small and harmless is, is sort of adorable. And, you know, if they were literally two years older in portrayal, you know, would be just sort of uh, creepy. Like worse than Andrew Garfield was <laughs> right, on the creepy right, right. scale in, in this thing. But so they know all of this about her. She She's with them. They, she's friends with them. They're on this team. Not only has Peter never met her parents, he did not see a single photograph of the Vulture when he's in the Vulture's house at some other point in the movie. And for whatever reason, Liz Allen... D despite the fact that her mother is credited in the business for this as Alan Toombs, Liz, for whatever reason, does not use her apparently on good terms stepfather's hyphenated name uh, so that Peter does not get to see that other last name in school and make this uh, connection. Right. So, um, you know, I'm not someone who, who tends to complain about plot holes. Like, it's a minor thing. But if you think about it, there's no excuse for him not to know this. I I uh, I think you know within the within the world of the film and the world of Peter's concerns, I, I feel like it's plausible that he may never have even put the two things together. Uh, so that it didn't bug me that much. Uh, but but it sounds like you know like again, it, you know I think Matt, what you're saying is that it, it works as a moment. And for me personally, I think the thing here is that it comes down to. Um, how efficiently a job John Watts, the director, does at pushing the story forward so that when that moment happens, it genuinely feels like a moment. And it's a it's a smaller moment and it's not hinged upon sort of a big explosion or anything like that. It's hinged upon our understanding of what we know of this character. Um, and, and I, you know, like I, I may have kind of been, it, it may have sounded like I was giving this a backhanded compliment to begin with. I genuinely enjoyed this and I, and I was genuinely taken by just thinking about this film from the point of view of of John Watts's director. Um, you know, John Watts is a guy who who had done a schlocky horror film before this, a movie called Clown, that he basically got greenlit off the trailer, which he said was directed by Eli Roth. And then Eli Roth called him and said, hey, do you want to actually make this movie? Which is kind of a, a weird success That's story. That's a strange yeah. success story. Yeah, it's a strange <laughs> success story. Then he made, you know, uh, uh, a sleeper indie hit, uh, Cop Car, which I haven't seen, but, but a, a very good friend of mine, Gavin McGibbon, who also hosts another podcast, Podcast, uh, did say, you know, recommended me to watch it. And he said, the reason he's excited for Spider-Man now is that he felt like this was a director who knew and understood story. And that's the kind of person you should give a franchise film. And, and having watched this film, I kind of agree with him again, you know, Bob, you and I kind of talked briefly at the beginning about, uh, of, of like the pressure with which the studio is, is trying to churn this out in order to, to, to make a profit. So the artists who come in, the screenwriter, the director are really at the behest of, a machine that wants to simply print money and and whether you can do something interesting within that framework is a challenge and now i don't i'm not suggesting that john watts has done something extraordinarily interesting with this i think you know I, as odd as it would i think if the film was the miles morales story i think that would be pushing it further than than i think we might be comfortable with. And I think that would be interesting and exciting. And, and that would be a bold step. But even if it's not, I think John Watts as a director proves that he can, he can work within that machinery 
very efficiently. And, and I have to say for me personally, more convincingly than say someone, uh, than, than Patty Jenkins did on Wonder Woman. Mm. Uh, I, I was not as taken by that film. Now, I don't think this film is as ambitious as Wonder Woman, but I think this is more successful in what it's trying to do in its own terms. Okay. I, I can't go there, but I understand how you get there. Right. That's fair. Okay. Uh, so, so here's, here's the thing. This is, uh, I, again, I feel like I've been heaping praise on this. I want to talk about one other moment in the film near the very end that I didn't particularly, I, it's one of those like, <sighs> it's like eating too much ice cream. Uh, when like brain freeze, well, brain freeze or just your stomach turns. You're like, yeah, I can keep eating this because it's delicious, even though your stomach is hurting. Like, why am I doing this? And the moment I'm talking about is when finally everything's wrapped up and Peter defeats uh, tombs and, you know, delivers them to the cops and Tony Stark's like, I knew you could do it, kid. And then there's this moment at Avengers uh, headquarters where Tony's like, yeah, now we're going to make you a full fledged member of the Avengers. And I got 50 press people back here and here's your brand new suit. And then uh, he shows in the suit and it's cool. And he almost does it. Then Peter decides that, Oh no, it's just exactly. I want to stick with my regular life is what I liked all along and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, was this a test? And Tony's like, yeah, it was a test. And he leaves. And then it turns out due to a funny little reveal that pepper Potts is back in Tony's life, that there actually were reporters and this whole thing was real. That to me, that was a moment where it just didn't feel natural in the world that the movie had built. It didn't feel natural to the character that Tony Stark kind of has been set up to be. And it felt like it felt like a move. Like it felt super corporate, even from the Sony side, because they, they need Spider-Man to be important enough that the Avengers would want him, but he needs to be on his own. Yeah. Like, and it just felt, I don't know. That was the most dishonest part of the movie to me how did you guys feel about that i uh you know i i agree that it's forced um i i knew it was coming because like once as soon as the the arc of the movie sets in within the first five minutes of oh, oh okay this is a stay in school kid movie <laughs> yeah. where yeah where joining the avengers is standing in for a lucrative nba contract yes you know is uh like once that's there i'm like oh, okay so the end of the movie is they offer him to be in the avengers and he says no actually i've learned that i want to stay here and help you know my people and you know it sets up this whole you know kind of equally forced dynamic where you know peter who is seems to be poor we don't really know what their situation is but they don't seem to have a ton of money uh and uh you know like said so, like so that he is a where i'm not sure do they say what aunt may does for a living uh i don't i think she's just professionally hot in yeah, this universe okay. yeah uh people just fawn over her because it's marissa tomei yeah, yeah. I, I don't so know <laughs> that, that like well we're leaning on the idea that uh you know Peter is nominally working class because mm -hmm. yes. he's you know bas basically because he lives in an apartment block in Queens that's that's kind of the the angle there and therefore that gives him some kind of camaraderie with the vultures so that we can lean on this very sort of forced blue collar working class hero bullshit right because you know, you know Pete guys like us the corporate guys they don't understand us which is is it works because he's full of shit but also it feels like the movie wants me to be more sympathetic to the vulture than I really feel like I should be. Right. Cause even you know? if you get screwed over by a corporate overlord, you're still a dick. If you start murdering people with alien weapons. 
Yeah, also there there were, you know, are we to believe that was the only construction project in Manhattan? Right. There was no other, like, he's he's basically a scrap metal dealer, right, yeah. is, is what we're leaning towards here. I'm pretty sure there's other stuff in New York that needed to be taken apart, but whatever. But Bob, he bought, he bought trucks. He bought six trucks. Yeah, I know, and, and he's and, and he's empl- and he's employing a bunch of other minor references to other Spider-Man villains. So fine, you know, whatever. It, it like everything else in this movie, it's like ah, you know, fine, you know, good. I see what you're doing. A for effort, good enough. He has the wings, so I I won't complain too much. But uh, the the ending thing with the Avengers thing is 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 a little forced because it it feels like that should be a. Like the, the the Iron Man tone and the Spider Man tone are kind of like crashing up against each other here. Yeah. Where like you know Peter's ending there is very earnest and like you know oh yeah okay he's he's made the correct decision and were Sam Raimi still making these series that's when the 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 slow strings part of the Elfman score would come back and he'd get a little monologue and someone would non solemnly to him and it would be cheesy but you'd remember it ten minutes later. Whereas here you know we get our you know okay yeah good attaboy, Peter good. Job. And then instead of immediately following, you know, the star of our movie home, you know, we we get a surprise cameo from, hey guys, Gwyneth Paltrow's back. Holy crap, we, we thought she was out of the series, but no, she's back. And they're, and they're gonna, you know, and John Favreau's there, and we're saying, uh, hey, sorry for fucking up Iron Man 2 on you, uh, John. Here, you can come back in the movie and, and hand him a ring so that the, the Romans are like, it's fine, but it's, it's the most forced of all of the, the reference stuff in there, which otherwise I was genuinely surprised that the Marvel stuff was not more obtrusive. Like I kept waiting for the vulture to have an infinity stone or, or, or some, <laughs> yeah, or, or some dumb forced bullshit that's there to remind everyone. It's, no, no. Iron Man shows up when, when he's, when it's logical for him to show up, you know, Downey is, is actually acting in all of his other scenes. Like when he's, you know, doing the, you know, I'm very disappointed in you thing, you know, he's, he's not phoning it in at that point. You know, I, I like the, I, I really like the meta gimmick of, having him literally phone in a performance earlier and then making the idea that, no, he's actually here right on set. This is the real shit now yeah. as a, a way to drop the hammer on the audience and let them know, no, this is where this gets real. This is this is not a joke anymore. That was who, whoever wrote that in, baller. Yeah. Right. Very well done. Agreed. But uh, like the ending of it is it's one extra little joke too far. It's the only point where it really does. The Spider-Man movie ends, and instead of us following... Spider-Man to the next scene, we stop for a brief prequel to Infinity War. And it's right. the only place where that's a little bit of a problem. And I, you know, I, I think piggybacking off that, um, I, I, I agree with you that the, the, that this moment is the most cynical tie in, uh, of this whole, of this whole exercise. Um, you know, the curious thing for me, and I think the reason why it worked was I actually was, was kind of sold by, by Michael Keaton's the vulture and, and his kind of blue collar, you know, as you guys call it blue collar bullshit, um, <laughs> because, because his, his entire argument is that Tony Stark continues to, to continues to profit off his own, off his own chaos. And I, and I, something about that did ring true. And I, what I'd, what I would have hoped is that is that um, Park, Peter Parker's rejection of Tony Stark of joining the Avengers at the end was an acceptance of the Vulture's point of view there that that you know in order to to create our own destiny we have to take things into our own hands and and so if you know like that that line if you if you 
if you, what was the line? If you need the suit, then you don't need the suit or uh, how would he if say? If you need the suit, then you don't deserve to have it. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. If, if, if the, if the, the result of that line had been him realizing that he needs to go and make his own suit or, you know, like, I think that would have been a more satisfying ending to this as a story. Whereas instead what we get is, is a, a closer tie into, to the Avengers sequel, uh, the Avengers infinity wars. But, but again, I don't, you know, because Michael Keaton kind of works this well. And I think, and I think the story works, you know, uh, as it needs, as it's required to work. It, it doesn't, it doesn't throw me out of the movie. It doesn't like make me go, ah, this is really not working. It kind of all, it, it, it's more like, you know, like it, the whole film just kind of just meshes together well enough, as you're saying, you know, like it, it's, it's all there. It all comes together. Nothing about this is bad, mm. you know? And, and I think maybe, maybe the cynical part is if that's our barometer for what's good, that it's not bad, uh, then, then, then maybe the, you know, we have been bombarded enough by, by the machine of the Marvel cinematic universe, which is being my argument. And, you know, and the thing, the reason why I, I, I feel this way about this is that there are other interesting movies around right now that, that do tend to get drowned out by the conversation around what these franchises are doing. And frankly, you know, as we've kind of discussed, they don't, they're not doing anything particularly interesting other than creating movies that connect to each other. Um, and, and so, but it all, it all meshes together and it all kind of works. I mean, yeah. I, I agree with that on the, on this film, Spider-Man Homecoming, obviously she here, you know, I don't agree with that on as a whole on the, on the MCU, but, um, but I mean, we're all allowed to be wrong about something. We, and I just, I haven't found that time for me yet. <laughs> One day I'll get there, Bob, it will happen. Um, but guys, all right, we've been talking about this for about an hour. We should wrap it up. Final thoughts. We're going to give it to you, uh, Bob at the end. So she here, just real quick sentence. You basically sort of did it, but if you had one thing, should people see this? I, I think it, I think it is a, a good time in the movies and and I think you know the thing about it was that there was a in our screening Matt and I went and saw this together there was a little kid in front of us who was far too young to be in this theater he was probably like True. four or five or something like maybe six or seven I don't I don't know couldn't tell but but the thing is I wanted that kid to enjoy this movie on a level where he would run out of the theater and try to jump off out of a fence or something like that. You know, parents, I'm telling Wasn't you, not fall off a fence, fell, fall off a fence or something <laughs> like that, you know, like do the flip flip, you know, really get into the character, really feel energized by it. And I feel like superhero films should work at that visceral level to our childlike brains where we should, we should engage with them at a level where we want to, we walk out of them wanting to make the world a better place and wanting to do good and wanting to do amazing things. And I, and I hoped that this child in front of us kind of got that experience from it. And I, I wouldn't be, I think the movie works well enough to do that. I, as I've said before, my, my criticisms are that it feels oddly unambitious for a large tentpole action movie. And, and we've said this before making these kinds of things is incredibly difficult. So, so for me to say it's unambitious is, is sort of, is talking about it on a narrative level. You know, it's, it's unambitious on a narrative level. Um, but it all works. And I think it's held together by a great performance by, uh, from, from Tom Holland, who's, who gives me a real, um, Michael Keaton kind of vibe. Uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry, Michael J. Fox kind of vibe. I was going to say, yeah, no, no, a Michael J. Fox kind of vibe where he's doing this sort of G, G whiz kind of performance. It's really big, but it, but it, but it all really works. Um, and, and really like 
really efficient directorial choices by John Watts. And, and it makes me want to go back and watch Cop Car and Clown and just see the, the, the things, you know, like as we talked about Peter Jackson earlier, the things that led John Watts to be at the helm of such a tentpole film, but also uh, the hope that, that at some point he will step away from this and make interesting films on their own terms. Fair enough. Uh, I mean, obviously, I think people should see it. I also would send certain people that I know in with a grain of salt, uh, more very, you know, more super critical people or people that don't enjoy these kind of movies in general. Uh, but it it hit me in in my feels. And uh, again, I do have to say that the strengths of this movie do lie in the high school parts uh, and the uh, Spider-Man parts and the MCU parts are uh, just sort of the icing on the cake. And sometimes uh, the cake is all icing and it gets a little bit sour. Uh, But overall, I mean, I really enjoyed it uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how Sony um, totally doesn't mess up its own Spider-Verse. I think I, I just, I'm just really look into the future. We're hoping that that life prequel turns out to be the, Venom Oh prequel. yeah. We really, Bob, we really wanted the film life to be the venom prequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a strange rumor. Yeah. I, I just, I was like, all right, let's go. Anyway, Bob, final thoughts. Uh, I, I don't know if I should say that like, you know, everyone should see this, but the thing is everyone's gonna see this anyway. And, uh, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing like super wrong with it. You know, it's a, a perfectly serviceable, small, minor movie. Uh, if not for the, the fact that it's based on, uh, a, you know, 70 year old media franchise and now connected to this big Marvel hullabaloo, it would probably be a, a one and done, quickly forgotten movie that people would think about five years from now and go, Oh yeah. Hey, that one about the kid with the spider bite. That was kind of cool. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, it's it's that kind of thing, and I think that the only way that the Marvel Cinematic Universe whole big thing is both going to survive on its own terms and also not become a black hole from which every other movie genre cannot escape is for us to get to a cultural point where it's okay that not every one of these matters. You know, that they can string together this actually unimportant meta story about magic rocks and the people who do or do not have them. And just because (laughs) that gives you the illusion of, you know, a bunch of uh, stuff that you absolutely need to see that you really can just, you know, see it eventually and just let it live in the big cultural zeitgeist and not necessarily build your entire movie going life around it because otherwise this is going to burn itself out. Yeah. But if, if the eventual future, once we're done killing Thanos or, or whatever is the point of infinity war, if, if this is going to be what a lot of this eventually looks like is a bunch of little movies that come out, they're kind of connected to each other. But if you don't give a shit, you don't need to, it is probably the way that this sustains. And, uh, you know, in that respect, I think it's a, you know, it's, it's a decent little movie and uh, I'm sure I'm going to get sick of talking about it because there's just nothing in it that's worth spending, you know, the years that we're going to spend talking about this on it. Uh, I, I hope that the, the next one, by which I mean the next Spider-Man, not the Infinity War, I hope the next one of these looks at this and says, okay, we've got good characters, we've got our high school stuff, it, that, that all works, you know, the foundation is here, now that we've established that we can do light and airy fun with this, 
what's the what's the other shoe? You know, now that we've done the villain who doesn't really matter, we've gone through a, a you know a, a relationship story that's not really quite there. You know, what is what does this look like when it has to get big and serious? When we get the what's the Empire Strikes Back moment for this franchise? That is what I want to find out. Uh, okay. Bob, do you, just just a one quick question off that. Do you think it's 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 it behooves us as reviewers and as an audience to to challenge our expectations of what we think these movies should do in order to push that forward? So, I mean, it's curious because you said that you know, like if we if we accept that the cultural conversation is about just accepting that these films are little and ins- inconsequential, do you think you know? I I kind of uh, backed myself into a corner a little earlier when I said that you know the fact that the film is is okay is the barometer of what requires it to be good. Do you think we need to be a little bit more aggressive about that? Or do we, you know, as an audience, do we need to like say, hey, you know what? We shouldn't shell out as much money for these kinds of movies and we should be shelling out things for for interesting, challenging movies that 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 transform the way we understand cinema and life in general. Or 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 is it okay just to kind of, you know, it's a fun movie to see on a Friday night. I don't think it needs to be an either or. Right. I, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think that's to assuming for a moment, you know, that not everyone is in the kind of financial straits where they can only see one movie a year. Mm-hmm. You know, assuming for a moment that you get to watch more than one movie every every six months or so, I don't think it needs to be an either or choice. You know, whether or not you go to see uh, Spider-Man Homecoming has no effect at all as to whether or not Terrence Malick gets to make another movie. Right, you right. Know, what, what matters is, you know, go, going support, it is more important to support the interesting stuff than to not support the, you know, the, the, the studio stuff. Because that, one is going to get made no matter what. You know, you're, you're going to, if you really care about advancing the cause of cinematic art with your ticket buying, you're going to get, you're going to do more going to see small films than you will not going to see big films. You know, your, your, your protest vote is almost dumber almost. here than it is in an actual election. <laughs> right. I could not agree more, sir. I tried. Uh, well, guys, this has been the only podcast about Spider-Man Homecoming. Bob, when you are not doing everything that a spider can, where can folks find you across this worldwide interweb? Uh, right now, the majority of my content uh, independently is posted to uh, my YouTube channel. That's uh, under uh, Movie Bob. Uh, you can uh, find the shows are called Really That Good in Bob We Trust, uh, Game Overthinker. Uh, those are them. Uh, you can also find uh, my blog, uh, my personal site, rather, that kind of uh, collects the hub of everything. That's moviebobcentral.com. Uh, please bookmark that and go because that uh, makes things good for everything. Uh, Movie Bob One is the Patreon. That's uh, paying for me to do a lot of this stuff. And uh, I am also the, the, you can find my weekly paid uh, professional gig at uh, geek.com. That's uh, every week, uh, usually once, sometimes twice a week with uh, reviews of uh, new release films. Uh, please check that out. And I'm also a news writer for uh, screenrant.com. And uh, check that out there because I have uh, some interesting, uh, I hopefully, hopefully interesting uh, <laughs> long form articles posted there, which uh, you may find to your enjoyment as well. And uh, please follow me on Twitter at the, uh, at the underscore movie Bob. Uh, because sometimes I get off on a real tear and uh, you'll want to be there for that because I sometimes have to delete it right afterwards. They they are always wonderful. And I, I every time I see you come across my Twitter feed, I'm like, oh, yes, I'm, I'm going to get I will enjoy. I will enjoy this. Um, yes. And please, again, I just want to reiterate one more time to everyone. Uh, go to Patreon. Look up Movie Bob. 
donate, I think, what is it, a dollar? You will be getting so much content for so little money. Uh, <laughs> and entirely worth your time. It's, it's worth voting with your dollar yes, this Yes, vote way. with your dollar there, people. There's a vote. Uh, thank you so much. Yes, no, of course. And thank you for being on the show. Um, and Shahir, of course, when you're not uh, debating the validity of the MCU with me, where can people find I, you? I feel like that's pretty much all I do at this point. It is. The okay, the so MCU. nowhere else. Uh, if you want to see that more often, um, <laughs> You can go to uh, my website, www.shahirdad.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Want to put in a plug for the music video we launched last week, uh, Pyramids, uh, Wind at My Back, which uh, is not available on a single site right now. It's still on Vimeo, so you have to post it. So we will post it again on the Facebook page as a link after the show comes out if you want to, if you want to check it out It's that very way. good. It's very cool. It's very colorful. Yes, and Robot Music Video. Is it coming? Way, it is coming. Oh, it my ha- God. It has a release date. And so robot music video will be coming soon. I'll Bob, keep posted about that. Uh, Shahir is a director and he makes music videos uh, a bunch. He makes great ones, but the one I'm really excited about, he made forever ago. And I guess it's fine. It's, it's robots that play li- like real music. Like nice. it's, it's, it's going to be amazing. And I'm very psyched for that. Uh, and everybody, you can find me at Matthew Kroll.com. M E T H A W K R O L.com for my life and work. Skeletor, the number four P R E Z on Instagram or emperor M S K on Twitter. Also, please come to iTunes. Leave us stars. We like them um write us in for your own movie requests or hit us up on your thoughts on spider-man homecoming but uh, on twitter at only movie pod or email us at uh, only movie podcast at gmail.com and we will get to all of your emails you sent us in uh next week we know this one went a little long so we will do that we got a bunch of good ones from a, a bunch of different topics both yeah, agreeing and, and disagreeing with all of us i know it comes at night and baby driver apparently they were, heated yeah, topics yeah. on uh, on the message boards this week all right so what are we going out with here you you just you want to go out with a classic i I mean, the song that I used to throw myself off fences <laughs> as a kid is the classic intro song to the Spider-Man TV show, which was riffed on in this movie. Sure, sure. Uh, the Michael Giacani is, is his name. Go with that. Uh, I, I pronounced his last name terribly, but the the good old fashioned All right. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Don't sing it. We're going to play it. Does whatever a spider right. Bob, thank you one more time. It's been great having you on. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Excellent. And we will see you guys uh, next week. Yes, hopefully for some Netflix-fueled uh, fun oh, with the uh, Super Pigs. Yes. Bye. Thwip. Life is a great big day. Wherever there's a hang you'll find a Spider-Man. And post-credit scene. <laughs> no, that's it. We're done. <laughs>